0: What's up everyone? My name is Dominic. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Notes. Uh, with me I have Brandon. Today we stuck with uh, Amber Kemp over at Purple Giraffe in Adelaide, Australia. Um, she had a ton of really good insights on what marketing tactics a lot of these small family-owned wineries and vineyards um, and wine brands in general. If, if you're kind of starting out, what are some good marketing tactics that you can use in order to build a brand awareness increase engagement and get more sales in general. So um, yeah, thanks so much for tuning in and we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. So Amber, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out today and joining us to uh, speak with us about, about uh, you know, winery, winery marketing in terms of you, you're kind of focused on um, some of the smaller family vineyards and and, and wineries. Um, Purple Giraffe does obviously all types of clients, but um, so, for those who don't know you, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, kind of, yeah, just kind of where you got, how you got to where you are?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, my name's Amber. I am uh, specialize in uh, working with small family-owned wineries. Um, I chose to specialize in that um, because I just don't like working for big companies. I <laughs> like working for... Um, really passionate people. And I find the wine industry is full of passionate people. And when when people have worked really hard to set up a winery and they're at the stage where they can employ a marketer, then, you know, they've, I, I just have so much respect for the work they've put into that. So that's why I chose to, to kind of only work for smaller family owned wineries. Um, I did a, there's a um, wine marketing degree, you can do it at the University of Adelaide here. Um, so it's an actual bachelor in wine marketing um, and when I discovered that it just sort of felt like the right thing to do. Um, my family all grew up in the Barossa Valley in South Australia so um, you know probably heard of, heard of the Barossa, it's a pretty famous wine growing region um, so wine was, although we weren't directly relate, involved in the wine industry, it's sort of in the blood when you're around, around it so much. Um, so when I spent a couple of years in London as a youngster, um, I uh, kind of, yeah, it clicked that I wanted to work in wine. So when I came back to South Australia, I enrolled in a degree and um, decided to to go down that path. Um, that was a bit over 10 years ago now. So I've been working for liquor wow. distribu- a, a liquor distributor um, and then a bunch of wineries uh, being directly employed by them, um, working in uh, wineries that have got pretty incredible sized wine clubs, Um, wineries that specialise in, um, you know, have biodynamic wines and are small and setting up new restaurants and new venues, Um, wineries that are, you know, have a long history but kind of need reinventing. So there's been quite a few challenges along the way. Um, And then about 18 months ago, um, I stepped away from working directly for a winery and started doing some consulting. So that's when I came aboard with Purple Giraffe. And Purple Giraffe specialise in... Outsourced marketing so basically we do anything that a marketer that you employ would do for you but we do it from our office not from yours and it means that the costs are much lower you don't have to employ someone full-time but you still get the expertise of a of a well-trained marketer that's got lots of experience and then the the you know head of five or six heads um you know coming together rather than just one as well so you get the the team backing you so I Purple Draft looks after all kinds of clients, um, any sort of marketing that's out there. Um, I specialise in the wineries because of my experience, so I've got the the wine clients that we have. That's awesome. Yeah, we do anything that you would need for marketing. So whether it's you know all your digital stuff, so social websites, um, you know, web presence, email marketing, um, whether it's clubs, setting up clubs, helping run clubs um, any of that direct to consumer stuff, um, you know, collateral tasting notes, media releases, dealing with the press, tourism distribution, all that stuff. So everything.
0: That's awesome. Are you, so you guys are in, um, what, what city in Australia are you in? I'm in Adelaide. Adelaide. Okay. And and the whole purple draft teams over there.
1: Yes. Yeah. We're all based in Adelaide, but you know, I work with wineries in New South Wales and Victoria and doesn't, Thankfully, these days because everything's online and in the cloud and digital, it's much much easier to be able to work for anyone oh, based anywhere. So pretty
0: much yeah, pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Nobody's working in an office I, right now.
1: Yeah, I spent a couple of years living in Tasmania down in Hobart as well. So I worked for oh, an wow. uh, amazing little winery down there um, for three years. It's a biodynamic winery, and it's, it was yeah a lot of fun and nice to be in a in a beautiful little different part of Australia. So
2: that's awesome. That's so cool. Very cool. And so, yeah, it sounds like you have a ton of experience working with various types of wineries. Uh, What are the common challenges and problems you and Purple Draft helps to solve for them? What are some of those common problems for them?
1: I think the the biggest issue is, um, you know, trying to get your name out there in such a competitive environment. So wherever there's a a wine region, you're going to have a high density of people competing for the same customers. So Mm -hmm. that's always the biggest challenge is trying to get... um, get your name out there but also to continue that conversation with customers that have visited you because I think that's the biggest key is that if you get someone particularly if you have a cellar door or you have an event or somewhere you have a face-to-face meeting with a customer that's the relationship you have to foster and I think that's where people fall down is that they have all these wonderful people come through their doors and they walk out and never talk to them again mm. and mm-hmm. you know you Creating new customers through digital or through any non-face-to-face means is very difficult because there's so much competition. People aren't necessarily willing to give your wine a go over someone else's. But if they've had an experience with your wine, whether they buy at that, on that day or not at the cellar door, that experience is the key to building a long-term relationship. So when they're in the bottle shop and they see six Shiraz on the shelf, if they've been to you and you're on the shelf, they're going to pick you up over the other five that they've got no relationship with.
3: Absolutely. So,
1: yeah, I, I think that's the biggest challenge. So reaching new customers is really tricky um, on, particularly if you're going just down the social. Um, and the other thing is people freak out about social media if they're not on it. It seems very big and daunting. We'll talk about mm-hmm. that a bit about how to make it a bit more simple, but, you know that they're just too afraid to start, or they've started a long time ago when the platform started, and then it kind of fell away, and and they haven't put the time into it, and then it seems too hard to get started again.
3: Yeah.
0: Like, mm. Or they feel
1: like they're too late to it, and it's you know can't do it now. So. And,
0: and Amber, you know, in that area, I know here in um, well in the U.S., I think there's something like a little over seven thousand wineries in the U.S., and then in California alone because it's such a dense area of wineries, there's, I think we read 40 something, 100, 45, oh, 4700. Yeah. 4700. So it's an, an extremely intense, um, and like competitive. Um, so going on your point of what you're talking about with when, when you're going to the store and there's so many, is that a similar situation over there? Do you know how many roughly uh, are over there?
1: Yeah. I, I don't have the numbers, but it, there are, um, you know, many thousand wineries and each region has got a lot. So the Barossa has, hmm you know, a thousand, probably, I, I don't have the numbers, but, you know, a thousand plus wineries and then Adelaide Hills has got a huge amount and the McLaren Vale has got a huge amount. And so it's about, uh, often it works really well to to group with your local region. So I've worked with right. some, some wineries that mm-hmm. have worked with their neighbours really well. So, you know, if you've got a little tiny kind of sub region within your region that, you know, there's seven or eight or 10 wineries within a, a small distance walkable or rideable or, you know, obviously, drinking alcohol makes it difficult to kind of drive between. But if there's some way you can sort of create a a, a little tourism hub, then you often do better than just trying to market yourself. So, um, right. you know, we've had I've had a lot of success. We've had a there's an area in McLaren Vale called McMurtry Road that they have this thing they call McMurtry Mile, which is about you know the six wineries that are on the one road have a had a little passport card system for a while where you kind of Mm. If you visited all the wineries by the end of it, you got some free glasses, you know. So it was a sort oh, of. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and then there's another one um, that we set up in in a subregion of McLaren called McCarran Flat. That was the McLaren Flat mates, and then that's all the little wineries that are in kind of walkable distance of each other, so you could, mm-hmm. you know, stay in the region and and want, and see some that you wouldn't necessarily look at because they're not the big brands that you'd know mm. of that are in the you know near the main street of McLaren Vale, yeah. Vale, so for example. So.
0: So it seems like a pretty, I mean, it seems like a fairly similar situation to here Yeah. with just how competitive it is. And, and so for, you know, for, for a lot of the marketing we do here, at least it's really important that our customers have kind of know what their goals are because you have to tie marketing to goals. And so I guess that that's one of my next questions is so with you guys work with so many different, like different size wineries um, and, I'm sure you see so many different types of goals. If they're a larger winery, they're going to be pretty intense in their goals. Um, but how how do you guys go about developing kind of uh, a, a goal set for the wineries that you work with? Like um, I want yes. this many followers or this much revenue. Great question. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I think we, we start off with, um, you know, when we take on a new customer often, not always, but often we'll do a, you know, a, a business plan for them, but we do it as a much more action based. So it's got, actions and achievable things mm-hmm. in it. So it's not just a document that you never look at again. And then right. we try and have a an action, what we call an action plan that, that we keep updated along the way that uh, steps we want to take that get us towards whatever it is we're achieving. So whether we need better distribution in the wholesale market in various um, states or whether we need, um, you know, we want to increase our social media presence or we want to increase sales via the website whether we want to build the club, um, you know They're the kind of things that we look at as the initial goal and then work out how we're going to get there. So often you've got three or four of those happening at the same time, mm. um, and sort of running um, concurrently. But it's, um, yeah, it's more about looking at what you want the outcome to be. So if you've got a cellar door, I always say to people, let's drive visitation to your cellar door. Through that, then we'll get resultant club members and sales getting them in the door is the biggest focus. Those other things happen after you've created that initial relationship. So it's mm. working out what actually is the key to building those numbers. So, you know, I, I don't think there's much point in just having lots of social media followers if they're not valuable to customers. So Early. you're, you're Absolutely better off good point. driving people to your venue, making the most of that. And then, then you build those ongoing conversations afterwards. Got so it. kind of
0: working backwards from what their kind of ultimate goals are. Then you can yeah. work backwards and figure out what marketing plan you can work together and kind of, I guess, more of the tactics and the, um, do you guys do like a schedule along with that or is it yeah, based Yeah, we do.
1: So we put, you know, dates on, on our action plans and stuff, but it's also not necessarily about spending lots of money. It's, it's, it's about, yeah, totally. we don't, you know, we don't do it. We're not marketers that say, okay, you're going to hire us and, and you need to spend $20,000 to, to achieve these goals. It's more, we will put these plans in place. Most of it is free or fairly affordable or, you know, just about maybe sending samples or having some offers, but it's mm-hmm. not about big marketing spend. Um, I'm not sure what it's like in the US, but here the only wineries that tend to do that big marketing spend are the, the big brands that have, you know, lots of money behind them. They're the ones that do the billboards and the, and the TV ads or the, you know, mm-hmm. bus ads or, um, you know, advertising in magazines and stuff and there's just so many wineries that don't have the budget for that mm-hmm. you know, basic ad in a decent magazine is over three and a half thousand dollars and no one's got that to do regularly so mm-hmm. better off spending your money creating experiences for customers mm-hmm. rather than yep. rather than just getting your name out there i think that's the difference so it depends on the price point you're at as well and what market you're trying to compete with it's also very key is to keep in mind that if you're a high-end product, you're obviously going to attract a very different customer to if you're a, you know, everyday coughing wine. So Mm. you've got to know, know your audience and are you, are you trying to go for volume or are you trying to go for for value and experience? So. Mm
2: -hmm. Totally. So what would you say then Amber? I think that's a really good point you're making with regards to um, understanding your audience, different types of audiences And it sounds like digital marketing is a a little bit new for some of these smaller wineries or family-owned wineries who Mm -hmm. perhaps have had a name. Going off of that, you know, with digital marketing being a little bit newer for some of these family-owned wineries, what misconceptions are you um, confronting typically and how are you educating them on thinking about things a little bit differently with regards to digital marketing audience types? Things like that.
1: Yeah, I think, I think the biggest misconception is that it's really expensive or that it takes a huge amount of time. And both of those things can be true. You can easily spend a lot of money marketing and you can spend a lot of time doing digital or social. But I don't think you have to. Um, so I think it's it's about working at, like I said, working out whats what you're going to get the best bang for buck. You know, where, where are you going to spend? Get the most, but it's it's also not necessarily about. I think the one of the big issues you face a lot is when you've got depending on who owns the winery. Right, so if the winery's been set up by by farmers and wine um, you know wine makers, vigneron's, and they've got the passion, they kind of get it a bit more. But if you've we've got a lot of wineries in 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 Australia, which I'm sure it's the same in the US, that have been set up by accountants or lawyers or doctors mm. or people that have made a lot of money and they go, oh, running a vineyard it'd be fun and then <laughs> they expect the same return on investment that you would get for another business right. and it's just not going to happen and the other thing that's difficult is that social media is is hard to quantify the return on investment it's very hard to say i will spend this much money on social media or this much time creating content and I'm going to get this back for it. Right. But what it is, is it's it's the conversation you're creating with your customers. Mm-hmm. And you need to think, if you're not on social media, how are you having that conversation with your customers once they leave your venue? So mm-hmm. are you contacting them via email? Are you posting them? Stuff? I don't have any problem with snail mail postage. I think it's amazing. And that might be... Your tactic, particularly if you're a higher-end brand, that might be your point of difference is that you send physical newsletters or you send um, updates and invites by the post.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: There's nothing wrong with not being digital, but you need to know how you still need to have that conversation with your customers. So it's just about working out the best way for you to have that conversation. The other point with people think is that, you know, I put a post up about an event, I didn't get any ticket sales, or I put a post up about booking for a tasting this weekend, and I didn't get any bookings, or I didn't get any takers on this offer that I ran on Facebook. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it was a failure. I think there's a lot of people, I mean, these days with so much media bombardment that we have, and there's so much information out there, it takes a lot more for people to jump on things., yep. so you might someone might need to see a post about booking for a tasting five or six times before they say to their friends, hey, let's, let's book a case. And they might go direct to the website and do it, and you might not have any concept that it was related to the Facebook posts you've been doing.
3: Mm-hmm. But if you hadn't right.
1: done them, they wouldn't know that that's an option. They wouldn't have tagged their friends. They wouldn't have, you know, it's not necessarily immediate, but I think it's a space you have to be in to have that conversation with your customers and let them know what's happening.
0: Mm. And going back to also to what you were saying earlier about, you know, how you guys create a strategy and um, almost kind of like, like a, uh, your marketing plan um, for your customers. That is why it's so important to create those things based off your goals, make that plan with some dates and stick to it because you're only going to see those results as you stick to it over time. Yes. It's you're never going to have those results after yes. a, a couple posts or a few posts, even, you know,
3: exactly. it's, mm-hmm. it's
0: sticking to that strategy over time. And just kind of seeing
2: that, that through. I yes. guess, I'm, what would you say then Amber, um, to piggyback off that, what does it look like for you guys to be, how do you guys know when to maybe shift gears with regards to a specific campaign to see if what you're put, executing and putting in place is actually helping to support those goals that you've established with the wineries?
1: Um, I think it, it comes back a little bit to, like I said, you know, depending on the goal. So if it's about driving visitors to your cellar door, I think, there's, I think it's important to trial a few different things. So, you know, it's in particularly, say, for example, we look at Facebook. You know you might want to run a campaign that is just trying to attract locals so in the off season or the you know the times when it's a bit quieter or midweek you might want to run some some campaigns on Facebook that literally just target the fifteen k you know five mile radius around mm-hmm. your vineyard and and say we want these people to have the advertising that we're spending and we want them to come along and we want to have an offer for you know locals or and you want to and then maybe run that during you know, all the the quiet seasons and then have a look at it in three months time, you know, I mean, look at it more frequently than that, but overall look at it in three months time and say, was it different to the same time last year? Mm. And like like I said, you don't need to spend a lot, but I think you you need to kind of dip your toe in the water and, and give it a go. And then maybe during holidays or long weekends or whenever you've got times with lots of visitors in the region, and maybe you're running a campaign prior to that for people much further afield you know if you know you get a lot of visitors up from from LA or wherever it is that you're getting them from then run Mm -hmm. your campaign in the time when they're going to be thinking about it so you know long weekends coming up maybe a week ago when people start thinking about what they're going to do or maybe it's months ago you you look at it and you say okay we're going to have this event on on the long weekend or we're going to have um you know it might just be you do, you do a, a barbecue on on your lawn outside the outside the cellar door for that weekend but you want to do something that just tries to make you stand out you know mm, over yeah the so and you need to kind of run those and give it a go and then have something to compare it to. If you've got nothing to compare it to it's not you're never gonna know if it works. So if you haven't recorded your numbers of how many people visited last year, then you're not gonna know if you had more this year. So my biggest kind of tips are like count your visitors. It's not mm-hmm. that hard to you know, have a little crowd, click a counter under the counter or mark your sales or something, but it's good to know your turnover and know your numbers. Write it down in diary every day so you can go back and look at how many people you had come in the door that time last year.
3: Mm. Yeah, it yeah. Make a
1: difference. You know, so you if you don't see keep those, those records, you have got nothing to compare against to. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's to say
1: about the oh, no, action plans is they don't have to be complicated. People Sound the marketing plan sounds very scary. It sounds like it's going to be a huge document. Ours are literally at one A4 page with you know top line sort of things on it, like social media posts 10 per month, or um, you know, media releases will do two or three a year, or and then you kind of mark out the months you're gonna do it. It doesn't have to be a, a big document that's scary and takes a lot, a lot of time yeah. to set up. It can be a whiteboard. You can literally have a whiteboard in your office where you say, these are the five things we want to target. These are the months we're going to do them in. And then line it up with when you're going to be releasing new wines or when there's a holiday or when there's a, you know, you want to do an offer before Christmas or whatever it is you want to do. Mm. So plan out your year so that you can, you can spend your time wisely and get your, you know, social media offers or your emails out early enough to let people know that these things are happening. Because If you try and do it all last minute, then you kind of lose the effect of it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I I think going back to um, how that can seem like it, it does take a long time. You end up saving more time when you do come up with these plans because you're not just trying things that waste time and then inevitably you're losing money. So that goes back to also, well, is it going to cost me a lot? It's like, well, you're losing money because you're not taking advantage of these um, customers that would be seeing your stuff if you just had a marketing plan.
1: Yeah. And if you Um, just do everything ad hoc, then you end up spending more. So, you know, if you look at it throughout throughout the 12 months and you say, okay, we're going to release products twice a year and maybe that's in May and August. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you do a campaign about those new products at that time and then you say, okay, well, how do we get sales in those other times of the year when we might be a bit quieter? So, you might look at, um, you know, in in February when it's, you know, over there when it's winter and it's coming out of winter and it's being pretty quiet, then you might say, okay, well, let's do a let's do a sales push now. We might do an email offer or, you know, we'll do a a code on social media, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever it is you want to do. You kind of look at the gaps and say, okay, well, how can we fill in these gaps or how do we pick up attendance in the slow season? whatever it is, if you, if you do that 12-month plan, you can say these are those points we need to work on. And it's much easier to try and level out your your, you know, your customers and your sales and things if you look at it as a 12-month timeline.
3: Okay. So,
0: Amber, what can wineries be doing uh, to improve their marketing uh, right
1: now? Yeah, so I think there's quite a few fairly simple things or quite important things that, that people need to look at if they're – Um, just starting in the digital space or if they've started Mm -hmm. a long time ago and haven't sort of kept up with it um, I think the first thing is you need to kind of look at try and clean up your digital footprint so whether you're aware of it or not um, at social platforms like Facebook for example will create pages for you if you haven't created one for yourself So often a winery might end up with two or three pages because people have tried to check in at your venue and you haven't had a page set up or they can't find it because the name's not right or it's not what they feel like they would search Mm. for. And so if you go on Facebook and, you know, search for your winery's name or something that other people might call it, you know, if, if it's, you've got a very specific name, you know, um, maybe it's, you know, Jones Block Vineyard and, people have been searching Jones winery. And so maybe they've set up a page under that or Jones cellar door. Um, You might have three or four pages. So if you look at all the permutations of what your name could be on Facebook, then you can claim all those pages. So if you Mm. go onto them, if they're pages that have been generated by Facebook, not by you, you can go onto them and there'll be a, is this your business question? You can click on that and claim the business when you've claimed all the pages you can then merge them. So you can say to Facebook, um, Mm. these are all the same page, they're all mine. Um, You might have to change the names of them to be able to do the merging, but it it, it might take a little while, but it's definitely worth doing because you then collect all of those likes that have organically built Mm. up on those pages and then you get them all. And then you've got an audience that is yours that you've been building without even realizing. So you might have a much bigger (laughs) audience than you think even if you haven't been on the platform.
3: That's a great idea. Um,
1: yeah, and I think it's um, you need to do the same with your, your Google listing. So if you haven't claimed it, claim it. You know when you Google something, on the right-hand side, there'll be that business listing that has mm-hmm. the name of the business and the opening hours and the phone number and stuff. That's your it's called Google My Business page. You need to claim that if you haven't um, because that um, you can then add photos and correct your opening hours, update people if things happen. You could post stories on that. That's where people leave reviews on Google. So it's quite important to own that space so you can reply to those reviews if you need to. Um, do the same on TripAdvisor um, and any of the other platforms that you might have reviews. I know the US has got more that are act- more active than we do Yelp. And yeah, and Yelp is a big one. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so go on all those platforms, search for your name. Search for any versions of your name that people might use. Mm-hmm. Find them, claim them, merge them. Talk to the co- you can talk to Facebook and TripAdvisor and Google if you need to. They can help you do those things. That you know they seem like massive companies that you can't talk to, but you can. There are mm-hmm. access points along the way. Um, then try if you can to have a consistent name. So you might have the name of your brand might be really long-winded and that's something people will never type in. I've worked for wineries that, you know, are known by, you know, colloquially they're known by one name, but being, their Facebook pages have got the big formal official mm-hmm. name and mm-hmm. nobody finds it because no one thinks to write that in. So mm-hmm. it doesn't yeah. have to be that formal and social. It just needs to be recognisable. So if write you can it. try and have the same social media handle on all of your platforms, so if you're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, have the same... same handle, it's quite important. Uh Um so that if people are trying to tag you in things, they don't have to remember that you've got three different names on three different platforms. Yes. Um then uh you want to make sure that the pages are all set up as business pages. So particularly on Facebook and Instagram, you want them to be a business profile, not a personal profile. People don't want to have to friend a business. That's just not, you know, it's not how it works. Right.
3: You mm-hmm. to like the
1: page. So if you did set up a profile early on in the platform, often you would have set it up as an individual page. So you, you'll probably need to scrap that. And I don't think you can convert from a personal to business anymore. I think you could a little while ago, but mm. set up a business page, set it up for the right industry, Spend a little bit of time, and if if it's all too overwhelming, get you know your son or daughter or niece or nephew or granddaughter to you know help you set it up. They'll be how to do it in an instant. Leverage so. your family. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You don't necessarily have to pay to someone, but you could pay just for the correct setup. You could mm-hmm. invest the time in getting a social media expert to just set all your channels up properly. Mm. Then you can do and it, on. But it's just that that setup is really quite important so that Mm -hmm. everything's coherent. It's all consistent. People can find you. You want to make it as easy as possible for customers to find you. So, yeah, absolutely. um, Then update your profile to your logo. Don't have an image that's something else. Make sure your profile picture is your logo. Yeah. Cover photos can be something lovely from your vineyard or your family or the dog or whatever, but make Mm. sure your your, your, um, profile picture is your logo because that's what people are going to look for.
3: That mm-hmm. so
1: needs to be recognisable. And the other thing is focus on the platforms that make the most sense in your area. So in Australia, Facebook and mm-hmm. Instagram are much bigger than Twitter. Whereas yes. I know, in the US, Twitter's a big thing. Twitter's bigger. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, I've worked for some wineries that have connections to the US, and they think that we need to be putting a lot of effort into Twitter. But in Australia, it just it just doesn't get traction. And it, you kind of you can post the same content, but you know. If we're scheduling stuff and it fits within the Twitter limits, we'll just post it on Twitter as well. But mm-hmm. you just don't get the engagement. And I know Twitter's much more a, a kind of back and forth conversational platform. So if you're not gonna spend the time to do that, you're better off not being there. Mm-hmm. You're better off putting your effort into one or two platforms well than trying to do five or six poorly, because it'll mm-hmm. yep. you know reflect bad. So You know, here I would say that to all the wineries, let's do Facebook and Instagram. Often we'll put the same content on, but then we might do some additional, you know, photography-only posts on Instagram. Facebook, obviously, is much more useful for events. So if you are running events or tastings or um, anything like that, then Facebook is where you want to host those and have them and get people to know because they say they're interested in an event, you can post updates, and then it, it automatically pushes that information to everybody who said they're interested in your event. So it's an easy way to cut through the crowd in, mm-hmm. in Facebook. So awesome. work out what you do and then which platform works best for you. And please don't post bottle shots.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like it's pretty important. To, uh, oh, yeah, we see, we see that, we the see other, that pretty the other consistently.
1: Thing is the other arm of um, digital that people often don't think about these days as much is email marketing. And I know it's, it is, it's so crowded. There is a lot of email marketing out there, and I know a lot of our um, email servers these days filter most of those emails. They put them in a you know, non-priority email box. Yep. Um, it doesn't mean people don't look at them. You're not gonna get as higher um, open and click rates as you used to. Doesn't mean it's a waste. I think emails are really good for creating and um, ex- exclu- you know, exclusive offers.
3: Mm-hmm. I think
1: it's important that you know you you build a mailing list, so it's so important to collect data so if people if you have a venue, get email addresses, get people to follow you on social, get them to check into your venue they, you've got to collect that data and they can unsubscribe. That's fine. Don't be offended if people unsubscribe, but if you can create offers that are email only you know if you even if you're not doing a club but you can still create offers to your mailing list only that make them feel special and then you're more likely to get sales I find you're much more likely to get sales through offers on email than you are through social media so to me social is about the conversation it's about telling the story it's about sharing what's happening at your venue you know, it might literally be sharing photos of your dog because wine dogs are amazing and everyone loves them. (laughs) (laughs) It might be about sharing photos of some other wildlife that are in the vineyard or, you know, picking or the various stages the vines are going through. Some of the other um, challenges that I know people face are little things like where their digital presence is up to, what their website looks like, what their website Mm -hmm. is saying about their business. Um, Websites are a scary big expensive thing and yes they do cost money to redo um but they are very important Um, and it is also really important to know how easy is it for a customer to do what they need to do on your website so if you're driving people to your website to buy wine how many clicks does it take for them to purchase that bottle how easy Mm -hmm. is it for them to find that can they do it within two or three clicks Um, do they have to buy a full case of something or can they mix their own you know Those kind of specifications can turn off people. How easy is it for them to pay? Have you got Apple Pay set up, for example? You don't have to, but if you do, then people shopping on their phone or their tablet are more likely to buy than if you don't. So, you know, if you're trying to remove those barriers for for people to make the purchase, you're going to be much more successful with that, you know, cart conversion and all that that stuff. It's Um, pretty,
0: it's so important too, because, I mean, we've seen some sites um, from, some wineries that are, I mean, some of these, some of the websites that we've seen have looked pretty, pretty, pretty outdated. Like I've seen some that look like they're from, legitimately from the nineties. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, visually it, it's all obviously not as appealing, but also functionality wise, I've been lost in those sites. Like I'm like, I don't even know where to go it, to look at your wine, you know? Yeah. And you know, those, those businesses are missing out on so much money.
1: Yeah. And I think so wineries are, are a very visual business. So it is easy mm-hmm. to have lovely visuals, nice photography, a little bit of video That's that, oh, totally. you know, yeah. there's st- things you can easily create a beautiful website around and they don't have to be complicated, Like you don't have <laughs> to spend lot. You know, I know wineries here that have spent 20 or $30,000 building a website, but then I've built websites for wineries that cost five or $6,000 that, are just as good and just as functional, but it really just depends on your brand. You know, if you don't have an expensive brand, don't spend a lot of money on your website, but spend it on photography and video and then put that on a basic template website and you'll end up with something that looks amazing. Rather than spending money on a custom-built website, spend it on the photography. Get It's the biggest key. Have good bottle shots and have good photos of your winery and of you as people and of your animals, if you have animals. Spend the money on that photography is much better than any, than so much other spend you can do because those photos you use for tourism, you send to all the local, you can send to the local tourism. You can use it for mm, ads, mm. for brochures, for the website, for social. You've got to spend money on photography. It's very key to have, to have those good images.
2: Can I ask you this Amber? Sorry, I'm going to cheat and ask you a couple more questions. Um, right. I She had one in, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a, um, you know, in an environment where there's a lot of competition, it's a crowded space, or at least it appears to be crowded. What do you think are some of the holdups with regards to why w- wineries aren't investing in making things look more polished or more high quality? Like you said, photography, um, you know, what, what are some I of the think, holdups there? Why aren't they doing it?
1: Yeah, people think it's very expensive. It doesn't have to be very expensive. Mm. There's a lot of photographers out there and a lot of photographers that would You know, I'm sure there's a lot of photographers in in everyone's region that would love to come and take photos for experience, you know. There's some you might have to pay a lot for, but um, there are also some that are probably pretty good that are budding photographers that will, you know, charge you nowhere near as much as a a professional. But then have a look at your competitors and your neighbours. And I don't, I never feel like wineries within your region are, I think you need to look at them as allies, not competitors, because people are Mm. coming to your, and you all want to attract them to your region.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: don't be so competitive against each other. So if there's someone else in a neighbor that's had a video done that you really like or that's got some photography you think is amazing, ask them who did it. Ask them who took that. And then go and talk to them and or you know spend a little bit of time working out the kind of photos you like before you get the photographer to you. So mm-hmm have a look on Pinterest or Instagram or other wineries websites, take screenshots of the kind of photos you like and put them together and send them to your photographer and say, these are the things I like. This is the kind of look I would like for our winery. Then when they come along, it'll be a much more streamlined day. You'll end up with photos you actually really like. So yeah. I think it's really important to spend a bit of time planning before you do it, but also Just, you know, and you might need to do three or four lots of photos in a year. You might, I think it's important to have photos of each season of the vineyards. Vineyards are so wonderfully seasonal, you know, they they Mm. show all the the areas of each season so well, and it's all Mm. very photogenic. Yep. Um, Have photos every season. Have, but then, you know, once you've got good summer shots or good shots with the vines for fruit, really good shots in the winter, you don't Mm. necessarily need to have them done again. They don't date. You know, a good photo mm-hmm. of a vineyard is a good photo of the vineyard. So once you've invested in it once, it's not something you're going to need to have done a lot. Um,
3: yeah. Mm.
1: So yeah, spend the money on getting photos and building up a library and then having, you know, 10 or 20 hero shots that are things that you, you know, really good one of your cellar door, really good one of the, the people behind the brand, a really good mm. one of the dog, a good one of each season of the vineyard and a some good product shots of your your wine with food or your wine with glasses. Um, And then you can use those for all of the applications that you'd need them for.
3: Yeah. Mm.
0: And I think too, on that note, um, it it's definitely a a huge misconception that photos and videos are always going to be super expensive, which, I mean, like you said, they can be, but there are also ways that you can do it just to, you know, work towards using that marketing plan that you did create and getting all that engagement over time, which is going to get you more return on investment. And I think a lot of what happens a lot, is kind of interesting. We see people's tasting room and they look, um, they have these really extravagant things and they are absolutely stunning. Um, But some of these people also don't spend any money on marketing. And it's kind of interesting because um, you kind of see that, well, you know, that big thing that you bought that's very lavish and beautiful for your tasting room is really cool, but it's not actually going to get you anything. You know, it's not going to make yeah. you more money. And so that's where I think it's, I mean, where, where do you think, um, do you think there's a, a, a disconnect there with people kind of, Spending a lot yeah, of money think, for their experience, but they ha- they're not even spending the money to get people to that experience. you know what yeah. I mean? Mm. Your, yeah your,
1: your your digital presence needs to reflect your physical venue. Totally. So if mm. you've got a beautiful physical venue, you need to have a beautiful digital presence. You need to have mm-hmm. a beautiful website because people so often will, if they've never been to you and they're planning, so they're planning a trip to your region, they will Google wineries in Napa, for example. So, your website, A, needs to register if people Google wineries in Napa. So, it needs (laughs) to have the right content on it so that that will come up. Your Google listing needs to know that you are a winery in Napa so that it can then say, okay, this is something that's relevant to that search. And then people, you know, if they're looking for something that has really lovely Tasting room, for example, they might want a seated tasting, or they might want, um, you know, a, a tasting that pairs with food, and you might do that. But if you don't have that on your website, or you don't have it listed anywhere, or any photos of it, no one's going to find it. How are no. they going to know? You know, so mm-hmm. yes, it's wonderful to spend a lot on these incredible experiences, but if you can't let people know about them and people can't find them, how are mm-hmm. they searching for them? Exactly, so these yeah. days, they're searching in Google maps usually, you know, not even just on Google. So if you don't own that Google listing and you don't put the relevant information in it, they're not going to find you. So you're spending Mm. all this money, but they're not going to get to you.
2: Yeah, so I was going to ask you to kind of piggyback off that, Amber. You mentioned how important it is to have a beautiful digital presence, um, you know, have your website updated. Um, You know, what, what type of content should wineries be creating? And what should the subject matter be of that content to attract people to these lavish areas or to the regions that you're talking about?
1: So I think the best content to create is storytelling. I I Mm. don't think, I don't think social platforms are a place for selling. I think there is, there is a little bit of space for that. So maybe if you're doing 10 posts, you might have, you know, in a month you might want one or two that are about sales. The rest should just be, information so whether it's stuff that's happening in your region things that you're up to in the winery um you know a recipe that works really well with your product social Mm -hmm. media is a lifestyle platform so it's it's about you know people are on it to enrich their lives or fill you know fill up time Mm. but it's not they're not on it to buy stuff necessarily so yes you can get sales through social but you're you're not going to get sales if you don't have relationships with customers Mm. the winery I've worked with that don't have seller doors or that have limited access to customers, selling through social is very difficult. Uh-huh. So, don't expect that if you just put offers up or you just put bottle shots up, people are going to go, Oh, that's great, I'll buy it. Because, why are they going to buy it over mm. a brand for a brand they've never tried? So, spend your time and effort getting that face to face contact with your customers. Then use social as a conversational platform, so talk to your customers, ask them questions, mm. then, if they comment on your posts, respond to them, spend time monitoring so that they feel like you actually care you know it's mm-hmm. um, I think the you know most of the wineries I work for, we do ten posts a month, so it's not a huge amount mm-hmm. of data I'm not asking no. you to create a post every day or three posts a day. Mm. You just need to. Um, be constant enough that Facebook knows you're still relevant, and that it will keep, put, you know, sharing your information out there. But Especially the more, with
0: iPhones, you could you could knock that out in a day, you know. Exactly. If you needed the to more, get something.
1: Yeah, the more shareable your content is, the better you're going to rank. The more people are going to comment on it, the better you're going to rank. Um, you know, I think Can, it's important to keep the content fresh, but also remember. I think that where people fail a lot with wineries is that winemakers think that winemaking is boring, right? They think the stuff they do mm. every day is boring. Yeah. Stuff you do every day, people love. Mm-hmm. They love behind the scenes. They love seeing you crush grapes or empty grape bins or, you know, play with the dog in the winery. Like stuff that you don't think people would be interested in. Trust me, they are. They probably they, are. <laughs> they, <yeah. laughs> they love seeing blood burst on a vine because they might not have seen it. They don't know what a flowering vine looks like. You know, share a photo of the inflorescence, the flower on a vine, share a photo of the raison, the the point where the berries are all different colours on a bunch. You know, people love that stuff because they Mm -hmm. don't know how it works. So you've got to kind of step back and stop thinking, oh, but I do it every day. No one would be interested in that. And think if I had never been to a winery or if I had never been into you know seeing the winemaking process would i find this interesting and i think you know people you'd be surprised. Mm. People love to see.
0: everybody drinks wine but almost nobody has really been in a winemaking you know like in the behind the scenes yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. The besides people yeah. who are in wine mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: so i think um you know and if you can run events that are behind the scenes if you can run picking days or days where people can come and help out at the winery or help with bottling, help with labeling. If you do that stuff by hand, you know, you might think it's a menial task. They think it's amazing. So, you know, you can get free people. They'll pay to come along and pick your grapes. You do that.
2: So, <laughs> yeah. it's a great idea. Rather
1: than you paying for grape pickers, they will come and pay <laughs> to have the experience. So, you know, it, there, there's a lot you can do that um, will make, will seem really interesting to other people that you might mm-hmm. mundane and boring.
2: Mm. That's very cool. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I was going to um, ask you a follow-up question, but you already answered it. Because I yeah. to say,
1: <laughs> what should they share?
2: <laughs> cool. Um, I think, I
1: think, and I think the other thing, that the best way to create this content, the way we the way we do it is we do a schedule every month. So we'll, before the end of the month, we'll look at what's coming up the next month and we'll say, okay, we need, we need to fill 10 posts in the month. So we schedule 10 posts at the beginning of the month And then we'll post ad hoc things if they come up. So at the beginning of the month, look at it and say, okay, are there any products we're launching this next month? Are there any events that are coming up? Are there any holidays that are happening? Um, Are there, you know, any reviews we've recently received? We haven't told people about yet. And then we'll say, okay, well, that'll fill up five or six posts. Mm -hmm. Then we might say, okay, well, we've got four to fill. Let's do a recipe. Let's, Share something about what's happening in the local region. You know, it's the school holidays. Let's say that the mini golf place down the road is open. Bring your kids along. Do that and then come to the cellar door afterwards, you know. That's the sort of stuff that you want to be sharing. And then spend the time one day at the beginning of the month or before the end of the month and create that content. It might take three or four hours. Creating content is very... labor labor intensive, it does take a bit of time. You've got to find a photo that's relevant and then write a post to go with it. But if you do it in a block, it's much easier. So Mm -hmm. there's lots of free scheduling apps out there, you know, later Hootsuite is good. Buffer. There's heaps of them. There's probably a lot in the US as well that we don't even know of here, but find a scheduling program that lets you do it. Most of them will let you do up to 30 posts a month for free. Mm. So if you're doing 10, you've got no issues. Mm Find the photos, write the copy. I usually do it in a Word document and and write it all out and then put all the hashtags in that I think I'm going to need. Mm. And then you can just use it again every month. Just change the content
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then
1: just copy and paste it into your scheduling app, do it all. And then you can forget about having to create new content. You know, you've got those posts going out twice, three times a week throughout the month. Mm -hmm. Then if something interesting happens at the winery, you know, through the month, if there's a, a cute, and you know, animal in your vineyard, take a photo of it and share it. <laughs> and don't worry how it affects your other schedule, so you can still do um, you know ad hoc posts. Ad hoc, but, yeah. And if you win an award or you get a great review, share it straight away, definitely. But mm. at least you've got that baseline of posts that are happening to keep you relevant. And then all you have to do is kind of monitor it throughout the month. So if someone you get a notification that somebody's commented on your post, go on and have a look, respond to them, say thank you. If that's all, you might only need to mm. say that, but You just, you know, keep that conversation going.
2: Do you use video, Amber? And if so, what what results have you seen from video?
1: Yeah, so video can be really useful, particularly if it involves the people behind the brand. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you might be doing, um, you know, for example, you might be blending your wines before bottling. People would love to see a video of that. Like they've got no concept of how that happens. So if you've got six wines in front of you from your six different tanks or a bunch of your different barrels, take a little video it only needs to be 20 seconds in fact you know short is good
3: yeah
1: videos it's much more eye-catching when people are scrolling through social media um you know if you are talking in it if you've got time to write captions for it great if you don't people will turn it on if they're interested they'll turn the sound on so um you know little things and that video social media posts don't have to be polished right the video Mm -hmm. for social doesn't have to be professional The photos for social don't have to be professional. I think a mix of some professional photos and and photos you just take ad hoc are really good because, you know, it shows that it's real and that it's happening and that it's current. Like I think websites need to have high-quality video without a doubt. For sure, yeah. Um, And, you know, if you can have your, you know, Facebook cover as a high-quality video, that looks amazing. But I think your day-to-day stuff so that it's not so daunting, not everything needs – I think the mix is –
0: Totally, totally, yeah. Um, no, that's
2: so much good insight. Um, mm-hmm. dang. Did you have anything else, Brandon? No, I think the only thing I wanted to end off with Amber is just you letting us know kind of, you know, where people could find you to learn yeah. more. I know you guys have a lot of resources for people, so we'd be happy to share it with people to be able to find you guys online and read some of your blogs or if you have videos anywhere else.
1: Yeah. So the the purple draft website, we're actually in the process of building a new one at the moment, but that does oh, have awesome. a bunch of, Um, case studies and and blogs and bits and pieces of things done. Um, So, yeah, you know, even if you're not in the wine game, um, there's various industries covered in that. So, um, and I think also making sure people get in touch with their local um, wine industry bodies. So, um, you know, I know in Australia we've got regional bodies and then national bodies and they have a lot of resources that are there to be used Um, and your state tourism Mm -hmm. Um, organizations often have a lot of photography you can access as well so you know you might live in a region that's got a really lovely national park next to it you don't need to pay to get photos of that there will be photos that you know your local tourism industry will have that you can probably access that you can use on your social for free so it doesn't have to all be just about your you either i think telling people about If you come visit us, these are the other things you can do in the day. Yeah,
0: that's a good idea.
1: The the things I think are are really important that people need to do is keep that conversation going with customers once they leave your venue. So, when they're there, get some details to stay in touch with them. If you can get an email address Mm -hmm. or get them to follow you on social, then you can keep that conversation going. And then converting them into club members down the track, if you want to go down the path of a club, which is something we've kind of hardly touched on, but I think clubs and mailing lists and those sorts of things are really important. Um, you know, there's lots of different avenues you can go down with clubs. We could have a whole nother podcast just on clubs. But um, <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. having
1: having something that makes your customers feel special, having something that they can access that the general person that walks off the street can't is very important. It also helps when, you know, like in Australia, we've got a, a big um, bottle shop called Dan Murphy's, and they're very price competitive. And if you offer stuff, From your winery to the general public, they will then try and compete with that. But if they have to log in in any form, give you their email address to be able to access that offer, they then don't count that as something they need to compete against. So, you know, it's it's the kind of thing you look at and go, well, we can then give our members something that's more special than they'll be able to get at the bottle shop, or more special Mm -hmm. than they'll be able to get if they just walked off the street. You don't have to make it involved it can literally just be emails that you send out that have offers yeah. in it that people can't get any other way um, or you can go down the path of having very involved clubs with allocations and send out and your website and that sort of thing yeah. mm. um, but you know you want to you want to try and keep that relationship happening so they're the things that are really important because like I said those customers you've met that you've made an experience with they're going to be a million times better than a, a customer that's never had any experience with you mm-hmm. so you know, um, spend your money attracting people to you, make those customers feel special, make them feel like they're getting something extra. And then you'll have loyal long-term customers for, for you know the rest, of, the rest of their wine buying life.
0: Yeah. The people who connected awesome. with you already, I mean, you should do everything you can to get them uh, yeah. connected to keep, keep that connection because it's Absolutely. a lot harder to get a new connection than somebody who has already tasted your wine or just seen your company even.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely, yeah. So, you know, like I said, don't try, you'll, you will build some new customers through social media and you will get some, if you have a club, you will get some club members that will just join mm-hmm. organically because they're interested. But the majority are going to come through a seller door. So if you don't have a seller door and you can't have a seller door, it's not the end of the world. But what you do need to try and do is have some events that you can get face-to-face with customers. So, okay. you know, if you don't have the capacity to have a cellar door, talk to restaurants in your region and say, can I, hope, can I have a wine dinner? Can we advertise it through your social media platforms? And I'll mm. sell tickets and you sell tickets. And then when you're there, don't be afraid to sell. That's one of the biggest things that a lot of winery owners are, feel like they don't be pushy they don't want to ask for sales and i don't want you to be pushy either but i want you to sell through experience so give them a good time have a lovely night you know share wines bring something out from the cellar if you can you Mm. know have a have an offer but have order forms on the table from when they walk in let people know that you're expecting people to spend money and buy wine you know don't be afraid to have that there and then yeah. tell them that you've got an offer that is only valid for tonight, you know. And then do mm. not honor it if they don't order it on the night, because then it yeah. loses all of its. <laughs> you know, you mm. No, that's, you, that's so true. Some rules you have to stick to them. So yeah, um, you know, have those events. Go, you know, I think big wine fairs can be good, but they're very tricky to get good customer relationships with. So spend yes. time and money having little wine dinners or. Or if you've got really good relationships with corporates, see if you can go do a, a, you know, once all the COVID stuff's done, see if you can go do a tasting in their boardroom. Mm. You know, take your product to them and say, this is me, this is my story, here are my products. Mm. You know, yeah. that, that one-on-one, one-on-20 experience, you'll create much better customers than if you go to a wine fair and, and, and pour wine at 5,000 people that aren't going to remember you the next day. Totally.
2: Yeah. Good insight. That's awesome.
0: Did you have something else, Amber, that you wanted to?
1: Uh, I wasn't sure if there was uh, I think that's it. I could get into clubs, but I think that's another
3: difficult. <laughs> we, might, we might have to have a full a podcast on ones. clubs, yeah. yeah. that'd actually really
2: one?
1: cool. I spent a lot of time working on clubs, so yeah, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a whole different yeah.
2: ballgame. <laughs> hey, Hey, well, we'll pick your brain for sure. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I learned something new, It was awesome. <laughs> Amber, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. You, you provided
0: so much great insight and knowledge into um, how, how some of these family-owned wineries can really take advantage of marketing um, quickly and easily, too. So thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, yeah, we, we look forward to having another one of these with you soon. Yeah,
1: wonderful. Thanks very much, guys. Awesome.
0: Thanks, Amber. Cheers. Cheers.